0: Lynn did, a, Lynn did a terrific job of introducing me, and I know and I know some of you, but I, I don't know all of you, so allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ben Gandy. I am a second-year student at Calvin Theological Seminary. Oh, and this is my family. Uh, this is my family. I'm sitting there, and my wife is sitting next to me. My, my wife is over here. Her name is Lindsay, uh, Lindsay Gandy, and these yeah, you know, this is our family on my lap. Is uh, Winston, he's crazy. Then Rocket, uh, that one on Lindsay's lap, that's Rocket and he's, he's very sneaky. And then down in the corner here we have Stella. Stella's a, do- a dog that we just recently adopted. And wonderful news, Stella is going to have not two, not four, but eight puppies. So uh, if you're interested in puppies I'd like to, I'd really like to speak <laughs> with you after the service. Uh, Lindsay is a a nurse at Helen DeVos, um, and I, when I'm not studying, I uh, teach people how to fly fish. Now, Lindsay was born in Detroit and grew up in Ada, but I was actually, I was born overseas, I was adopted, I was born in China, but I did most of my growing up in uh, the same country as this lady. Do you know who this is? Yes, it's my queen, Queen Elizabeth II, uh, the Queen of England. And she, uh, fun fact, that diamond in the, in, the, in the middle of her crown right there, that diamond is a 106-carat diamond. So, oh, I saw, I saw one. I saw one lady just look down at her. <laughs> See, what would that look like? <laughs> She's my queen, and I've never met her. But I have met her son. Do you know her son's name? Charles, yeah. Uh, the Prince of Wales. And when I, I went to meet him, it was interesting, I, I pictured like a Disney prince. That's what I thought he was going to be like. I, I knew a picture, but I Disney prince, right? And then he comes around the corner. And I see him, and I, of course, you bow, and you shake his hand, and he was so much shorter than I thought he was going to be. <laughs> his ears stuck out a little more than I really even thought they could, and, 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 his, and his clothes were all rumply, kind of like, like mine. And the, the, the image that I got of this prince was not the image that I thought he would be. And that's kind of the same sentiment we get in our passage this morning. Uh, don't get me wrong, uh, this is still a royal scene. Jesus rides into town like kings did in that day. He, yeah, he rides on a colt instead of a stallion with disciples instead of soldiers. But, but he still rides into town as a king. Yet we, we know the story that on Friday he ends up stripped naked, only wearing a crown of thorns on the, the tree, on, on the cross. Not exactly how we picture a king, right? But that's because he's hardly any ordinary king. So if you'll turn with me to Luke uh, 19, um, We'll start at verse 28. Actually, you don't, if you want to just sit and listen, you may, you may do that too. Um, and I'll give you a, a little background before we read. Um, all the way back in chapter 9 of Luke, Jesus and his disciples uh, were in the tip-top of, of what we call uh, Israel now, in Galilee. And it was that moment Jesus says, let's go to Jerusalem. So uh, between verses 9 and uh, chapter 9 and 19... Jesus and his disciples make their way down to Jerusalem. Jesus tells wonderful stories, the parable of the lost son, the lost sheep. He heals uh, ten lepers and, and gives a guy back his sight. And now we find them right now in the suburbs of Jerusalem, called Bethany and Bethphage. So, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage in Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt there tied, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who who were sent ahead, went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, What are you doing with it? Why, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, The Lord needs it. Actually, let's, let's just pray before we continue on. We pray with me? Lord, um, we just come before you now, knowing that the man doesn't live by bread alone but he lives by every word that we read from your book, from this book. So, so bless us, uh, open our hearts and our minds to see the wonderful majesty of King Jesus this morning. I pray all this in the name of, of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, Luke 19, it would help to have some, some cultural background. During the time that Jesus lived, there was a great peace over. There was a great peace over uh, the Roman Empire. It was called the Pax Romana, and the Pax Romana allowed uh, uh, did some, a few things. It allowed uh, the generals and the Roman officials to focus less uh, on on the military and more on infrastructure, like like roads and and cities. But it also allowed the emperor to travel. And indeed, even kings in little, little towns would travel with, uh, would travel around too. And when a king was traveling to a different town, if he didn't have an animal, it was normal. He would send two people on ahead to find an animal that he, that he could ride. And the king, you know, the, those two people would strongly encourage the owner of the sheep or, or dunk, uh, not sheep or the, the whatever it was, camel... <laughs> to, to uh, lend them for the king. It was a process called Angaria. But the thing is, any king that would have done that would not have known ahead of time what that animal would be. No, they wouldn't know specific things about that animal, like whether it's been ridden or the owner's response. And yet we see that Jesus does. Jesus is fully aware, down to even the very little details, of what's going to happen. And if you read on in Luke, there's incredible evidence of Jesus superior for knowledge, right? He predicts things before they happen. Think of Peter and his denial, right? It's kind of like, I'll I'll explain it like this. Imagine your boss. You have a boss and he doesn't drive at all, right? But he says to you, I want you to go into that car dealership and there will be a red uh, BMW 6 Series. It'll have 45,898.3 miles on it. Don't talk to anyone. I mean, just, just sneak around the back and, and get the keys, and then walk to the car and start it up. Now, the car dealer will see you, and he'll ask, why are you taking this? And you just have to say, my boss, he, he doesn't drive, but he, he needs this. Imagine if you, it happened that way. That's what happens here. It happens exactly that way with Jesus and his disciples. And the reason for that is this. It's because Jesus is the king who has complete control. Not like other kings. Jesus has complete control. Now, you probably, you can have two mindsets about this, right? You can say, yeah, I know this seminarian, Ben. Teach me something I don't know. Uh, let's, let's just move on from this. Or you can say, um, yeah, big deal. I mean, that's a cool party trick. He knew what was going to happen with the colt. I'll, I'll pull a coin from my ear, right? But the thing is, you, we have to understand that the horse and finding the horse and riding it was not Jesus' main mission. His main mission was to get to the cross. And in events leading up to that even in mundane matters of knowing the animal's location and how to procure it, he had just a wonderful control and knowledge of those events. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And he, he knew he knew what getting on the colt and riding into Jerusalem meant. Let, let me stand back and put it a little differently. OK? There was not one moment of Jesus' salvation plan. Not one moment of him getting on the horse riding into Jerusalem and going on the cross that he did not know about, that he did not control. Right. Yes, he knew about the cult, but he also knew about Pilate's questions, those pointed questions that would come. He knew about being flogged and slapped and made to wear just a horrible crown of thorns, and, 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 and he knew he would be hung up on that cross. And the good news is, if he was in complete control over those things, Ivan Rest, he is surely in control of your salvation. We often want to earn our pass into heaven. I know, I know that I do. I want to affect my, 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 my salvation plan. Uh, I think I just need to pray a little bit more and that will make me good enough you know, in God's eyes. Or, I need to rededicate. I'm going to, this New Year's, I'm going to de- rededicate my life to Jesus. Or, uh, that, that sin. That sin was too much for Jesus to forgive. It's too, it's too horrible. We have this tendency to want to fall back into this works-based salvation. But the good news for us all is that Jesus Christ is in complete control of our salvation and if you approach him you approach him in faith grace is given to you in abundance as we approach good friday where he's hung on a tree the monday monday thursday um, we must remember that this didn't happen to jesus without jesus letting it happen to him complete control but well, we, must, we, we must move on. There's, there's more that happens. Jesus sends, uh, he sends two disciples. Let's say he sends James and uh, John to go and get the cult. Uh, they're, they're called the Sons of Thunder. Uh, Lindsay, I have often wanted to name our sons this, uh, James and John, so that would make me Thunder. <laughs> I've, I amuse myself. Uh, so... so uh, Yes, he tells them to get the colt and James and John come and they get the colt and, and bring it and they see Jesus and they look at the colt and it's, it's dirty. So they scrape off the, 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 the crap off of it and, and the mud and, and it's still dirty. So uh, John takes off his coat and he's like, oh, Jesus cannot sit on this. So he takes off his coat and puts it over, puts it over him like a saddle. Then they, they bring it to Jesus right? and they lift him up as a king on a, on, a, on a stallion and they put him on it. They're so excited people go ahead. They're so excited people go ahead and, and, and put down their coats like a, like a red carpet. They've got the Oscars or the Grammys or something like that. Because they're marching their king into Jerusalem. And then, look at verse 37 with me. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, it's important to understand that the guy who wrote this, his name is, was Luke, he was an intelligent writer. And he plans the story of Jesus very well. And he makes Absolutely sure that, you got, that we see that part. Peace, that last phrase. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And when the reader would, ha, would have read this, it would have set off alarms in his head. Because Luke has written something like this before, hasn't he? If you turn back to Luke uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Actually, uh, to, Luke, Luke 2, verse 14. And I'll, I'll summarize what goes on there. Okay, so it's the time of Jesus' birth. And there were literally shepherds sitting out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now all of a sudden, an angel comes to them and says, Fear not, because they're afraid. It's an angel of the Lord. Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy. Today, in, in David's city, in Bethlehem, a son is born. He is Christ the Lord, right? And then the angel uh, gives him some more information. He's going to be wrapped up uh, in um, first century kind of diaper or whatever it was. And uh, you, you should, you should uh, maybe see him. And right after that, a heavenly host, like a choir of millions of angels maybe, they appear and they sing, Glory to God, glory to God in the highest. And then, and peace on earth. That's what they say, right? And that phrase, and peace on earth, is an inversion. It's an inversion of what we read in Luke 19, verse 38. Luke is making an incredible theological point, friends. He's he's saying, for just as Jesus came into this world and brought peace, Brought peace into this world for a little bit of time. He, so now he's bringing a very certain kind of peace to heaven, a peace between God and man. And I'm not sure that James and John or any of the other uh, disciples knew what they were saying when they were marching into Jerusalem, but what they said was completely true. Right? Look, look, look at it this way God is great. Right? God is great. He is uh, he's to be praised. He's gracious and merciful, slow to get angry. And especially, he is good and he's holy and righteous and loving. Now, a God who is, who is like that cannot be close to a people who are imperfect and unrighteous and unholy. People like us. As long, uh, uh, as, long as we remain like that, there is a dividing wall of hostility between, between us and God. So for many years, uh, the nation of Israel had to make sacrifices to appease this God, to, 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 to somehow have a relationship with him. But God loved the world so much that he came in the form of Jesus. right? And Jesus brought peace to this earth. And then, and then on Easter, Jesus went to the cross and what he did was this. He took that sin barrier, that wall, upon himself. And, and his holiness and righteousness he applied to us. He put on us. Right? And he took that and bore that all the way, took that to the cross and died there for it. But what happened next is that he brought, uh, he, he brought peace in heaven between God and man. There is no longer that barrier there. Is there? I, I, it's, uh, I have a friend whose name is Mardine. And Mardin always asks me, he's, he, he's happy to say he's not a Christian. I don't believe in Christianity. And he says, because if, if Jesus came to the earth 2,000 years ago, why, and he's the Prince of Peace, why, did he, why is the, the world, why do we have corrupt governments and ethnic cleansings, unequal rights, bigotry, hate? And, and these things, maybe they keep, you, keep us up at night. What if, Someone steals my car. That's not peaceful. What if my kids get picked on at school, beat up at school? That's not peaceful. Is my wife safe as she drives to and from work? That's not a peaceful thought. Or maybe we're worried about the global things, the the global warming, or um, the effect of the migrant crisis on the global economy. Our souls simply do not feel at ease because Christ came into this earth not to bring peace in the here and now. Although they felt it, He brought peace to forever and eternity between God and man. Just just some that I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Colossians chapter one. He says, uh, he says, he says this. Listen to this. it's wonderful, he says. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether, making, whether, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. Right? Jesus is, is unlike any king because he brings perfect peace. And lastly, Jesus, he is the king who has resolute compassion. Resolute compassion. Once again, please turn with me to verses 39. Or, or listen, of course. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, only you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace but now it is it is hidden from your eyes the days will come when you when when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side they will dash you to the ground you and the children within your walls they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you and that's, that's strong language, language of children dying. Uh, but it actually comes true. In A.D. 70, 70 A.D., we know that uh, Titus sacked Jerusalem and burned it to the ground. But that's actually, the destruction is not what Jesus weeps over. The destruction is a consequence of what Jesus weeps over. He weeps because they didn't know what would have brought them peace, right? He, they have it right in front of their eyes, And yet they simply cannot see him. I mean, just just, uh, all the way back when they were at the tip top of of Israel. Do you remember? And they're at the tip top of Israel. Luke writes that Jesus resolutely set his face to go towards Jerusalem. He, He, with no doubt, he sets out towards his death. And it's not grudgingly. Not he wouldn't weep. His attitude, if, 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 if it was grudgingly, his attitude would be different. Just you wait, Jerusalem. Just you wait. You don't know what's coming to you. But instead, we find Jesus weeping. Because Jesus is the king who has resolute compassion. Friends, he has resolute, he resolutely goes to the cross for his disciples who believe in him. He resolutely goes to the cross for people who, who has healed He's healed, who love him. He resolutely goes for the cross, to the cross for the demon-possessed man, uh, the, 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 the dead girl and the sick woman who have put their faith in him. He even resolutely goes to the cross for Saul, who would persecute the church and kill Christians, but later has a wonderful conversion story. And he goes for Peter. Peter, the guy that denied Jesus three times. And Ivan Rest, you have to see this. You have to see this. If he has resolute compassion for those people, Jesus resolutely, he has resolute compassion for you. He has resolute compassion for you, for, for us. He has resolute, he resolutely goes to the cross. And, 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 and his work on the cross is, is for all who call on him in faith. Whoever say, Jesus, Lord, I need you. It's for the single mother of four who can barely hold on, who can barely, barely make it, and she cries out, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. It's for the teenager who uh, goes to school, and they can't figure out, right, what does it mean to be a Christian, but what does it mean to live in this world? What's that, what's that going to look like? He resolutely goes for my, for my grandmother, who she can barely remember my name, but she can sing those hymns that she learned a long, long time ago. Jesus loves you so much that he goes through this coronation. Unlike other kings, he goes through this coronation of mocking and he's nailed to the cross for you. It's because he's the king who has complete control. The king who brings perfect peace. The king who has resolute compassion. And in closing, let, let me say this to you. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you know him and you love him, uh, just just spend this week think and meditate and marvel at what the king of the universe does for you. Prepare yourself as we go on to Easter. Maybe you're here and maybe you're here and you've lived your whole life as a, you've come to church every Sunday but you have no assurance. No peace. You're still wondering. Read this. Or maybe you don't have to. Maybe you know it. But believe. Fall on your knees and believe that Jesus does this even for you. Put your trust and faith in him. And lastly, if you're new here, if you're a visitor, I want to say welcome. I hope you have felt as welcome as I have felt, uh, especially if you are not sure about this Jesus guy. If, you're, if you would say, I don't want to be a Christian, you are most welcome here. We have cookies and coffee. But I, I, I will just say to you, if you're wondering why some guy might die for strangers, if you're wondering what does it mean to put your faith in this Jesus guy, there are, there are people called elders here, or myself, we would love... To talk to you, we'd love to get to know you, it's Ivan Rest. Don't you? Don't you see? Don't you see? Jesus is nothing like the king we would expect, but He is completely, and powerfully, and resolutely the king that we need. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for uh, King Jesus, majestic, wonderful, absolutely precious King Jesus. Fill our hearts with thoughts of him and praise for him. And cause us to sit back and wonder just this week to marvel at what the king of the universe does for us. Bless us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.